When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Vitamin C's. With me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Tim Shills. What's popping, Tim? Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year, dude. Oh, man. I'm going to give everyone, like, a, a quick disclaimer. I am sick. I am rough. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm all, like, congested and shit. So... If I struggle to get my words out or I have to like take extra deep breaths, it's just because I'm sick. So it hasn't been that happy of a start to a New Year's for me. Didn't do anything on New Year's Eve because I was just lying on the sofa drinking lemon and ginger tea. Feeling sorry for myself, bro. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, nothing too crazy for New Year's Eve and everything like that. It was kind of low key. Didn't really want to do anything. Kind of been a couch potato the past few days, but been watching the Celtics, kept keeping up on that and just... Yeah, just kind of just relaxing. It's kind of nice. Unfortunately, I'm I'm sorry that you're sick though. That that does suck. I've been sleeping a lot. Yeah, a lot of sleep, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't sleep much when I'm well, so maybe it was a, uh, you know, everything. Due. Yeah, everything comes when it's due. So it is what it is, man. Anyway, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I just wanted to put that out there so when everyone's like, Adam, you're not getting your words out quickly. Yeah, well, Adam's poorly, so you know, leave Adam be. Okay, so I want to jump into a few things, but first of all, I want to make sure that everyone that's listening and watching, you've all had a good New Year's, you're enjoying the Celtics games that have been going on, so make sure you jump into those comments, let us know what you got up to over New Year's, man, especially if you got up to something cool. It's not bragging if it was awesome, and we want to know, we want to experience that with you, so please do that. And the first thing I want to talk about now, moving on to some Celtic-centered conversation, I want to talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Because I've seen a lot of discourse going around at the moment over the way he's played over the last four games. He missed um, he missed a game before last. But over the last four games he's played, he's not been very good. He's slumping. His decision-making seems a bit slower than usual. And it's just not the, the player you thought you were getting when you traded for him in the summer. Now, in fairness, it's a four-game slump and the rest of the time he's been excellent. And everyone's going to have their down points in the season. It's just natural. But how are you feeling with what you've seen from Malcolm Brogdon, especially against Denver, where I thought he really struggled? I think it's tough because the expectations for him right now are to come in and be not only like someone who can go ahead and initiate the offense and serve as a playmaker, but also be able to create off the dribble for himself. And overall, like on the season, his shooting still looks decent. Like it's crazy because he's shooting 42.3% on the year. We talked about this a little bit before we hopped on. But because of the crazy start that a lot of these Celtics guys had, their stats are still very much skewed because overall, a lot of guys have had their games just fall off a cliff. Specifically with Brogdon, his three ball has not been there um, over the last four or five games. He was sick. It wasn't COVID. I think they said it might have been, you know, the flu or something like well, that. Well, I've got, bro. Pro- it very well could be yo, like there's I've something going around. COVID, but yeah, I can't breathe for shit. Yeah. And I will and say this, that three ball's not there. Yeah. Shooting 10% over the last four games. Oh, 10%. God. That's uh, rough. 
yeah, it's it's not great, but it's four games, bro. Like I get yeah. it; it's frustrating in the moment when you you come into the new year, you want to win that first game, you lose it. Brogdon was one of the worst players, like in the rotation. I can understand where the frustrations are coming from, but it's a four game stretch, right? Now, do you think that you need to worry? Is this all of a sudden a trend for Brogdon? No, I don't think so. I think you've hit the nail on the head. He was sick. He's kind of a little bit out of rhythm. Continue. I just want to hear more thoughts. I mean, my thinking would be if it were just him that were struggling, like if it was an individual problem, that would be one thing. But he's not the only guy that's struggling. Overall, the Celtics offense, specifically the bench, hasn't been as good as it was towards the beginning of the season. I feel like it's just kind of been that since that Golden State game, there's sort of been like, I don't know if it's a shaking in confidence or what have you, but the team just hasn't been clicking on all cylinders off the bench. And I don't really know if that's something that desires concern as much as it is just trying to play the right way. The Nuggets game is actually a perfect example of that because I don't think that the looks they were getting were bad. They just weren't falling down. Yeah. And it was it was like really, really bad, like really Really crazy example of like everything going wrong all at once. You saw the Nuggets, you know, be super, super streaky, go 17 to 30, I think, on the night. So like hitting over 50%, Celtics couldn't buy a bucket from deep. And so you have to find other ways to score. And, you know, I think the spacing is really what was helping a lot of these other bench guys get their shots up. And now when those aren't falling, you know, you're finding it really, really hard to stay in these games. I think Golden State gave a blueprint as well, though. The one thing that Golden State mm. did, and I think Chicago to a lesser extent as well, was kind of show like, hey, if you if you could stay in front of the, the Celtics perimeter offense and don't let them beat you off the dribble, they really struggle to generate any good offense, right? Because Boston doesn't really have that off-the-dribble creator, someone that's going to break you down like that Kyrie Irving, Jama Rant type guard. So they rely on ball movement, they rely on screening actions and that. And if you can stay in front of them and you can fight under or over those screens, you can switch, you make it really hard for them to beat you off the dribble and then they can't get into their offensive flow. The ball doesn't move the way you want it to. Any secondary actions don't really occur because you haven't been able to get into that first action. And that's why the Celtics are at their best when they're pushing the pace. It's very hard to stay in front of a team when you're still trying to get your defense set and they're already flowing into a secondary action on offense and you're playing catch up all the time. When the Celtics are bringing the ball up at a, a lackadaisical speed and you're allowing the half court defense to settle in, uh, we're seeing teams just, just like lock in and just be like, you're not beating us, you're not getting past this first line of defense. And I think that at the same time, while we're seeing this happen, I wouldn't mind seeing more like traditional three out, two in, three out, four out, one in, and then running more back screening plays. Like what when they when the Celtics do run that with Rob or with with Tatum, there's a lot of success there. And that that's a way that you can penetrate without having to beat someone off the dribble. But I think where you said like, you know, Denver did a really good job defensively. It's been since that Warriors game. I think that blueprint has been laid out and we're just waiting on Missoula to figure out how to counteract that because it's it, it's a big standout for me. His teams are just not letting guys beat them off the dribble. Yeah, and I think that that is where we're going to start trying to... We're moving into a new topic in a moment, but we're talking about trying to change the approach overall what the Celtics are doing. And that includes how they're approaching things on offense um, as well as lineups. Uh, you do have Robert Williams back. 
do you potentially see opportunities where the Celtics can start trying to create through their bigs? I know that was something that they did last season uh, to an extent, and they found that it helped a lot of ways just because they have two of the better passing bigs in the league. I still believe that both Al and Rob are up there in terms of playmaking from the um, center position or the big man position. Do you think it's something that they should try and get back to in order to try and break some of these slumps and issues that they're having? I mean, they are already running a bunch throughout Horford, right? So mm. there's a, there's a, an action called delay, which is where you're in a five out. So everybody's out. All of your offensive guys are around the perimeter. Your big man is directly at the top. So he's facing directly at the hoop, right? And then he's got the ball. And then you run actions off the side. You run pin downs. And then you run Chicago or Miami or what? You know, there's a few actions you can run. And then the big man gets the ball out of his hands and then he either rolls to the rim or he goes and screens. Or, and they're doing that a bunch this year. Um, Al Horford specifically is being used in the delay uh, a lot because he's playing more five-out based offense himself. He's shooting more threes than he is down but in the post. So I wouldn't say that they need to include the bigs more. I think they need to figure out ways to get the best out of Robert Williams right now. I think that the offense is very built and predicated around three-point shooting. And Rob not being a three-point shooter is kind of throwing a bit of a, a curveball at Missoula and figuring out, right, how do we get the best out of Rob without sacrificing everything else that we're doing well at the moment? And then when I'm looking at that, I'm like, right, so for me, that would be maybe you run some, I don't know, some back screen and rolls like you are. We used to see the... um. We used to see a couple of different sets, like you'd see some... Um, we used to see Rob Williams curl off that elbow pin down and then get the love that way. You used to see JT come off an Iverson cut and then that would open up like um, a down screen for Rob to curl over and get like a mid... Like get the ball on the post and then create out of post. Or for me, I'm just like, yo, feed Rob at the top of the perimeter, let him be the passer, let run him in the delay more and just trust that he's rolled to the rim and his vertical spacing is going to do enough for you that his presence on the floor isn't a negative and i think that's the thing right you've got to accept that rub's vertical spacing is just as valuable as al Horford's three-point spacing yeah and i think maybe part of it has to do with the fact that he just came back but i'm wondering if they're trying to just sort of ease him back into the offense slowly and surely just so he's not getting overwhelmed because right now it's it's a matter of being able to get back to processing speed getting back to just picking up all of the little nuances and things while you're out on the floor on top of just getting back to NBA speed in terms of like, you know, how, how fast you're going to be going out on the floor. I think so far Rob's looked good in that. So I'm just hoping they start to try and include him more because I think his ability as a playmaker is part of what makes him so damn good. Like his ability as a passer, I, I think can just change a lot of things. And especially for the Celtics, they turned away from, what they were doing last season. And so that makes me do wonder if they are going to go back to double bigs at some point. We haven't seen a lot of minutes between Rob and Al on the floor at the same time. But again, Rob's seven back games. Watch six, seven games. So, yeah. I mean, the sample size is small there, but I also haven't seen a lot of double bigs throughout the early beginnings of the season. Like you haven't seen, we talked about it a little bit before we hopped on, but you haven't seen a lot of Alan Cornett on the floor at the same time, but that's probably part of because you don't have Rob, so Cornette's your backup center. Al's operating at the five as opposed to Rob, so you're kind of forced to run those side, those kind of situations, so you're not seeing that pairing very often. But I am wondering, like, 
do they go back to that? Because for a long time, that was their best lineup last season. Yeah, and it was, but it's not conducive to the way Missoula wants them to play. Right, He wants that five-out, high-octane, very fast, high-ball-movement offense. And if you run double-big, everything's that little bit slower. It's a bit more methodical. When with MA, everything was half-court offense. We're gonna, um, their sets were very uh, regimented. You know, we go into RAM. Then we come out of RAM, we might run some pistol or some wide. And wide would have been first, then pistol, then RAM. It would have gone in like an order. Um under Missoula, everything's a lot more free-flowing. It's a lot more reaction-based, decision-based. They have their principles. They have their actions that they like to run. But what I would say is I don't think that that's the Missoula way. I think he likes having one big on the floor, especially a big that can pass. So going from out into Rob and then back, having multiple shooters that create that spacing. Because like, like I said, you don't have that guy that can create off the dribble that way to break down. So, yeah, I think having double bigs was successful last year, and we might see it in the postseason when it's more half-court based. But for me, the Celtics are being really successful pushing the pace. We're seeing some of the best basketball from Tatum and Brown. Slowing that down by going back to Horford and Rub might have defensive upside, but I'm not sure how that benefits you offensively when all of a sudden you you very rarely can go five out. I mean, against Denver, we saw Rub sit in the corner at one point. And I'm like, when no one's going to guard that, you've got no need. So now you can overload on JT or you can overload elsewhere because Rob is not a threat. He's not even going to attempt to shoot from there. So you don't need to guard it. And I think that's one of the bigger issues. If Missoula's not willing to have somebody sitting on that high post or in that dunker spot consistently, then that double big lineup makes no sense because you're asking Rob to be in a position where he's not impactful anyway. And then all of a sudden, the offensive drop-off negates any defensive pickup. I mean, the Celtics aren't defensive slouches right now anyway. They're still a top-10 defense. Uh, so that that would be my concern. Just like Missoula would have to adapt how he wants his offense to be run and to look in order for that double beat to work. And so maybe that is something that they don't go back to just because of it's a different system as opposed to what they were running under Ima Udoka. Now, I guess my question would be then, do you maybe try and get Grant out there more? Like, do you try and slide players up? Do you move Derek White back to the bench? Like, do you change any of these rotations? Because we talked about Brogdon slumping. Do you try and do any kind of shakeups here where you're changing minutes or workloads in order to try and get these guys, you know, back into a good groove? Because it feels like something needs to be shake, like changed up. There needs to be a little bit of a shakeup in order to really get back to what they were doing before. It just doesn't feel like they're on the right track in that sense. Like the record's still good, but the offense overall in December hasn't been great. And, you know, they ripped off a four game win streak before going into the game against Denver, but to see them have a really bad shooting night and not be able to find a way to win um, is concerning. It's been a trend though. They, they've really only had one game where they haven't shot great from three and they've managed to win. You know, it's kind of like live or die by the three, and it's, you know, to the nth degree with that kind of style of play right now. I just think that when you're trying to shoot from free consistently, whether you have whether you shoot well, whether you shoot bad, it becomes very easy to become over over 
What's the how, how do you dependent? There we go. Yeah, this is the cold brain working for me right now, bro. <laughs> uh, you become over reliant, over dependent. There's times where I think that you know I'm all for take that transition free if you're open, if it's in the flow and you're in rhythm and you're the guy on the ball, take the transition free. If you guys as a collective have gone one of 12 from deep and you're in transition, don't shoot it, drive it, get to the rim, see the ball drop, right? And I think this has been a big issue for me personally because I know Mizuda's, excuse me, I said in press conferences, like, um, you know, I'm a big fan of math. I'm a big fan of freeze. I'm a big fan of open freeze. Well, I'm a big fan of buckets, dude. I don't care how they come. <laughs> so, you know, I don't care if they're twos, layups, dunks, free throws. I want buckets. So when you're going one of 12, one of 14, and then you're still shooting and you're over-dependent on that free, you can really dig yourself a hole. But because this team has been so dominant in that respect, you know what I mean? We're kind of giving them passes a little bit. So no, that's a reason for me why maybe you do go double big, but I just don't think it's something that you are, you commit to over a, a 48 minute game. I think it's something for me personally, I'd be like, yo, the freeze aren't dropping. Let's go double big. Give us more of an interior presence, build up some rhythm, some confidence. Then we can slide back to our five out offense and see where we're going from there. Yeah. And I think using it in specific lineups is good too. Like, Going against the Bucks, it makes a ton of sense to run a double big lineup because you're going against Giannis and Brooke Lopez. So like those are situationals, especially that's a team that you very well could and probably will face in the playoffs at some point, uh, especially if you know they don't end up getting matched up somehow in the first round against one another. Those are teams that you have to be ready for. And that's where you do lean on your defense. When the shots aren't there, you need to be able to lean on that defense, which is why the double bigs were such a success because last season when the Celtics couldn't get a bucket going, they just focused on hustling, playing hard, and then using their defense to create their offense. Now, in terms of what they could do now, I think maybe they do start to try and find ways to get the bigs involved a little bit more, but I think it's got, it comes down to that starting lineup. And, you know, we saw the comments from Missoula about Rob, and whether or not he's going to be a starter, and Rob even talking about, you know, I'm fine coming off the bench. Let's talk if it's... about this. I want to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. I want, like, we're not, we're not passing over this. this needs oh, no, no, no. I think this is like the big thing, right? Because Rob is very okay with whatever role is best for the team. And that's all well and good, but I feel like he does need to start at some point, or at least situationally, you need to start him. And I, I don't mean necessarily that it has to be double bigs. But I think that the Celtics overall are a better team when he's on the floor. They're not necessarily going to be a better three-point shooting team because he doesn't provide that same level of spacing. But in terms of his passing, his athleticism, his ability to run the floor to operate as a rim runner, like I think that changes the, the overall makeup of what this team is able to do when he's out there. And I think that's something that the Celtics, especially when the threes aren't falling, they should be ready and able to lean into that. And this is the catch-22, right? Like, you don't want to run double big, but you have two starting caliber level bigs. And Robert Williams is an all-defensive level guy when he's fully healthy. He's also one of the best rim runners in the NBA. Al Horford, on the other hand, is one of the better like passing bigs. He's definitely, he knows how to defend. He uses angles extremely well when he's defending guys. It's tough, right? For me, 
if you want to keep Rob on the bench until the playoffs, maybe even through the playoffs, just to manage his minutes, you know, that second unit, then you're bringing in Brogdon, um, you're bringing in, say, Derek White starts, you're bringing in Brogdon, Grant, and Rob. Well, that's a really strong second unit. There's not going to be much drop-off, especially when you're staggering Jason and Jayla. So if you want to keep Rob on the bench this season, cool, I'm down. And then next season, when Al's new contract kicks in, you know, he's another year older. Maybe we flip that and we start with Rob as the starting five and then we move to Al Horford as your bench guy. And then that bench unit then is like Al, maybe Grant, if he's there, and Al Horford. So, yeah, I'm I'm not big on the idea of having Rob in that second unit long term. For this season, due to, you know, how long it took him to get into the back from injury, now he's working on his fitness. I saw someone make a comment the other day, like, Everyone's saying Rob's working on his fitness. He played 24 minutes. Yeah, he played 24 minutes once. You know, none of us know how gassed he was. The dude could have slept in till midday the next day. His legs could have been jelly. Like, you've got to be able to do that on a nightly, back-to-back, every day, plus practice. You know, you've got to be able to stay. We just see the games. These guys are working out before the game, after the game. They're at practice. They're traveling. Fitness is, you know, you need to build that, that shit up and build the resistance up to it. So if you want to keep Rob on the bench this year, fine. So be it. I think it's a waste, personally. But I also think there's some genuine upside there that makes it logical, especially if Brogdon can figure out how to play off of Rob better. Like, you've seen Brogdon throw up a couple of lobs in that go-get-good-just-go-and-get-it range, but there's there's not chemistry there yet. It's not a Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. It's not a Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum and Robert Williams. There's not that chemistry but if they can develop that throughout the regular season and then go into the playoffs and now you've got that two-man game of Brogdon and Rob on that second unit, you, you just look 10 times stronger. And then obviously situationally, you can switch out. Maybe you start Rob sometimes. Al comes off the bench. There's, there's a logic behind it. But if you do decide to keep Rob on the bench, it should only be for this season. That's yeah. my personal opinion. No, and I think that makes perfect sense. I think being able to swap those bigs out at the five spot is a benefit to the Celtics depth in overall, like how they're managing minutes this season. Like it really, really helps to be able to turn to either Rob or Al and be able to swap them out. Like um, not interchangeably because we talked about the benefits of one over the other, so on and so forth, but the ability to turn to someone who is not a defensive liability, who's capable of blocking shots, who's capable of giving you, you know, X, Y, and Z on the offensive end. Like that's not every team has that. Like that's, that's very special. And it is something that like the Celtics are doing their best to try and manage the workload there, especially as Al gets older. Like you do have to worry about that minutes workload. And because of that, like they've done a good job trying to get those rest nights in. He's not playing, you know, back to backs. And now with Rob in the fold, like that gives you a little bit more flexibility there. Early on in the season, like we were talking about it, being really concerned about, hey, like Al's workload is really, really up there right now because you don't have Rob. So you're leaning on guys like Cornette. You're throwing Blake Griffin out there and starting starting rotations when Al's resting on back-to-backs or when he was you know, uh, positive with COVID again or when he was out for personal reasons for the birth of his daughter. Congrats again. But like stuff like that, things that you have to consider uh, in terms of those rotations. But Overall, like I think I think the Celtics are gonna figure it out. It's just a matter of tweaking it and just trying to get more comfortable. Uh, I you point out having a, to play Vonley, that's also a big thing. Yeah, I mean I feel bad for Vonley, but like, you know, 
I feel a little bit bad because he's like yeah. a likable guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, I'm not saying like he's a bad guy or anything, and I'm not saying he's a bad he's player. He's great. Well, he's not terrible either. But my yeah. point, like, my argument was, especially like once we realized what Missoula wanted to do, bringing Von Leyen made zero sense to me because yeah. the skill set just did not match, right? He mm-hmm. doesn't have the passing. He doesn't really have the rim protection. He can rebound, but that's it. And I was just like, dude, I felt like they bought him in because he was younger than everybody else that was available. They wanted to give him a chance, but he just didn't fit the scheme or the system. And I was just like, I don't understand why you why you bought this guy in and took a roster spot off. It's not fair on Van Lee. No, really. definitely not. And it's not fair on, like, you know, there could be another person out there that could be more impactful than what Van Lee is for Boston. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I, I don't think Van Lee is terrible. I just don't think, I just think he's, in terms of skill set to system, I don't think he's the best fit. And I think if he were, then you would see him probably get minutes over guys like Blake Griffin. Like, that probably would have happened already if that were the case, but... You know, you saw him a little bit towards the beginning of the season, especially. I remember when they tossed him out there, you know, going against Joel Embiid, like game one, trying to figure out, like, how how is this going to work? Can this guy give you anything? And there was a little point in time where, like, he looked serviceable. But then, obviously, things fell apart. That's when they went out and they signed Blake Griffin um, because, you know, now you've got another body in the fold that can actually give you something. gives you a little bit of spacing, too. Passing, green, he can shoot a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, now you've got Rob, Blake, and Al, uh, all really, really good passes from the big man position. Like, that's important, uh, especially when you, you know, as we said, when you want to run delay actions, when you want guys cutting off while your big man's the one orchestrating. I'd like to see them throw more grenade actions in there. Um, f- go and check out my Instagram if you want to see what they are. Like Describing them here, I can do it, but it's kind of just like, a, you know, there's, I'm not giving you any visuals. So, but I'd like to see them run more grenade actions. I think that'll create, um, especially for Jalen Brown, run more. Gr- Basically, a grenade action is your big man's on the low block. He's got the ball. He drives the ball away from the rim back to the perimeter in a straight line and then gives a handoff to a wing that then obviously comes off the handoff and has the open lane to the rim. Because when the big's cut towards the perimeter, guess where the defense has gone? With the big. And now, the, and that's why it's called a grenade action because it blows up a defensive coverage. I'd like to see them use Rob there a lot for Jalen and for Jason because those two guys, once they start getting downhill in a bit of space, their Euro step, their explosiveness, they're hard to stop. We haven't seen it run hardly ever. If you look at some of the um, the training footage from when Rob was getting healthy, if I can find it, I'm going to impose it on this while I'm talking now. In post-production, I'm going to actually go and try and look at it. They were actually running for him. They, they, that practice footage was him running grenade actions. I remember commenting on someone's Instagram post about it, like, yo, that's a grenade action. Like, look for that when Rob's back. We haven't seen it once. Why on earth is he drilling it? Why the, why is the guy drilling it? And then not running it in practice? You get, I, I'm just, bro. Like, I get it. Wanna, yeah, it's frustrating. I, I Well, and I think that goes back to the conversation before about Rob's involvement on offense. Like, there's so many opportunities to try and better, you know, take take advantage of that situation, take advantage of his passing and his athleticism. And so far, we just haven't seen it yet. And I don't know if that comes down to comfort level or what, but he's back. Like, use him, use him, figure out ways to just get him more involved. Like, I just don't think there's any reason not to at this point. Guess who's back? Back Guess again. Who's back. Time Lord's back. back. Tell, tell a friend. friend. <laughs> um, all right. So, <laughs> another guy I don't feel like getting utilized. And 
It's not because he's a bad fit. I don't think that his like his skill set certainly um, blends well with what Missoula's trying to do. It's just that the guard that we spoke about earlier in a bad boy slump right now, Malcolm Brogdon, is kind of sitting in front of him, Peyton Pritchard. And over the weekend, I've seen a few rumors floating around that, hey, you know, some teams are keeping an eye on Pritchard. No one's really committing to the being like, yep, we want him, yet we're going to trade for him. But I've seen some stuff around there saying like, uh, you know, we're doing our due diligence. He's a sharpshooter. He can push the ball. Like, he can do some stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Why would the Celtics want to give up Peyton Pritchard? You get what I'm saying? Like, he's elite-level guard insurance. If Brogdon gets hurt, which, you know, looking at his career, is highly likely. Look, it's a possibility, right? It's a legitimate possibility that Brogdon misses a prolonged period of time at some point. Touchwood doesn't happen. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But if that did happen, you've got Pritchard right there, the guy that was giving you legitimate minutes in the NBA Finals a few months back that can score from deep. Yeah, he's not really giving you great production at the moment. He's playing spot minutes on a nightly basis. He, you know, he's not in rhythm. We saw him struggle. Garbage exactly. time. We saw it exactly the same last year when he was behind Dennis Schroeder. And once Schroeder got traded, we started to see a better version of Pritchard because he was getting more rhythm, more consistency. And that consistency then bled itself into his shooting and so forth. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the trade rumors flying around there. I, I, I don't know how much stock I put into that. I don't know if Boston would do it. My personal opinion, and I wrote about this for Celtics blog the other day, my personal opinion is you do right by the player. Like, you know, it's all well and good being like, these guys earn millions and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they do, but... Their careers are short. And what look what sacrifices that to make to get to the league anyway. And Pritchard is like, he hasn't moaned. He hasn't been in the media being like, oh, I need minutes, blah. He's been a professional. So now you do right by him. If you don't think he's going to get minutes this season, if you don't think you're going to find a place for him next season, and you can trade him to somewhere that are going to give him an opportunity to be a, a legitimate and consistent role player, give him room to grow, play through his mistakes. We've already seen what how that's benefited Aaron Neesmith in Indiana and Romeo Langford over in San Antonio, both of those guys had career nights over the weekend. Like, And that's not the first time we've said that this season. They're both just playing through mistakes, figuring this out. And all of a sudden, you're looking at them like, that. now they're showing what we thought they could be, but they just never had that opportunity in Boston. It's the same for Pritchard. So, yeah, if you can get, you know, maybe maybe you just create a really small TPE. Maybe you get some draft capital that you what you can flip in a deal of your own, whatever it may be. Like you do right by him. That's always my my first thought. If it's not like um, obviously you have to do right by your team too. So like it's like, but if you could do right by a player and still be in a really good position, I mean JD Davison's having himself a season down in Maine. Maybe you just call him up and give him the minutes Pritchard was getting. It's only developmental minutes anyway. Pritchard's only playing in garbage time anyway. Why not just give them to Davison? Uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm not. I'm not for trading Pritchard, but I'm for doing the right thing by the guy. And if that means trading him, then so be it. Yeah, and I, I think you hit upon it really well when it comes to a lot of teams are going to sniff around players. Like, as, especially as we get closer to that trade deadline, they're going to be looking at how can I improve my team and start looking around the league and looking at guys who maybe we can give this guy a bigger role. And that is a question with Pritchard. Like, is he going to be able to get better or is there another gear to his game that he can unlock with more minutes? Because right now he's not getting like slim to none in Boston, which wasn't the case last season. You 
obviously added Derek White later in the year at the trade deadline for last season. And then to start this offseason, you made a big splash by going out and trading for Malcolm Brogdon. So now you've got Smart, White, and Brogdon ahead of him on that depth chart. And granted, you're starting Derek White out there, but who knows? Like we talked about, like there might be lineup changes where Derek White's back to the bench. So all of a sudden, you've got Brogdon and White coming off the bench, fighting for minutes, and both of those guys are probably going to be out on the floor, you know, either at the same time or thrown in a mix or what have you. Point being, there's no guarantee that things get easier for Pritchard in terms of trying to find minutes. And right now, he's not really being put into opportunities unless one of those guys is sick or injured, somehow out for a game, and he's getting thrown in there. And you're still expecting this guy to like be productive for you. He's a shooter. He needs rhythm, which means he needs minutes, and he needs to be getting frequent minutes. And he's not getting that right now in Boston. So as much as I like Pritchard, like, I think a big thing that you said, and I think this is crucial for a lot of younger guys in the league, and he's still very young. He's still in his rookie deal. Like He's got the rest of his career ahead of him. And if what's best for his career is to get moved out of Boston, then you got to do it like just for a lot of different reasons. Like, look, I I think the reason why you traded for Brogdon was, is it allowed you to have some flexibility with your guard rotation. Um, And you have one of the deepest guard backcourts, like point guards spots in the league. In my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of teams that have that luxury of being able to trot out Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. Like that's just not, It's not something that a lot of teams are able to do. So with Pritchard, you just have to wonder, like, is there a better spot for him somewhere where he can get like these minutes that he needs? He's not going to get better. Like, you know, he's not going to improve if he's not getting playing time. So I just feel bad for the kid because, you know, he came into the league. No one really had any expectation. Like, unless you followed like Oregon or you were really, really looking at the draft. No one expected him to go that high. Most people I know that really follow the draft didn't expect him to get drafted. Yeah, and he's he went on great. Everyone I spoke to were like, dude, he wasn't even in my top 30, top 50, top 60. Like, he just wasn't on my board. And now I'm like, and I, I do this a lot whenever I speak to, um, I've been on a couple of podcasts with a few different people that I speak to, and I'm like, how you feel about Pritchard now? You know, what are you, what are you feeling yeah. about Pritchard now? And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, he could be a solid rotation guard on the team, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, of course yeah. he could. And like he is, he was. Is. He just doesn't have the opportunity at the moment. So I'm like, yeah, do right by the guy, do right by the player, because other players around the league will see that. You yeah. know, it's the same reason why I'm against ever trading Gallinari while he's injured, because other players around the league will see that. You saw all the negative optics of trading Isaiah after everything that went down. It's the, it's the same thing now with trading Gallo while he's injured. You know. You sign a guy who's like your marquee MLE guy this year. He'd always wanted to play in Boston, spoke about how happy he was, got hurt, and you trade him away. That's going to have negative connotations attached to it from the get-go. You trade Pritchard away because he's not getting minutes and he's good enough to get minutes elsewhere. That's got positive connotations. You want to keep positioning yourself to being being free agent conversations to keep retooling the edges of this roster over the next few years as you keep contending. These are the things sometimes you have to swallow it now to be able to be like, look, man, we do right by our guys. You know, we never traded Gallo. Gallo's still here next to, like, you know, if I'm Brad in the summer, Gallo's still here, ready to play. Pritchard wasn't getting minutes. We knew he could. So we traded him away. And, like, that to me holds a lot of value. I'm I'm not sure whether that is genuine. And, like, I don't have any insight on whether 
those conversations go down like that. But if, if I was a player, I'd want to go somewhere I knew they'd do right by me. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked about it previously before, like maybe there's a guy like Sadiq Bay you go after. I think right now with the Celtics bench, like struggling from three-point range, maybe you try and find someone you can get some minutes. And I think it's not that they wouldn't be able to use him off the Celtics bench. It's just, again, it comes back to that guard depth. You've got so many good point guards on this team that you need to probably get another wing in order to kind of balance this roster out. I don't feel like it's entirely balanced. I think there's, you know, you're missing some three-point shooting. You're missing some wing depth. If you can go out and get two birds with one stone, then you should probably do it. And that involves moving on for Pritchard. It's going to be a talking point until they get to the trade deadline and, you know, the clock strikes three o'clock, I think is the deadline. So you see a little trickle in after, but point being, you know, until it comes, you're you're going to still see these rumors pop up. February 9th. That's when it's going to happen. February 9th. Might do a live stream. That'd be cool. I'll be around, most likely. Might do I a think. live stream. Maybe. We'll think Should about be. it. We've got a month. Got a, month <laughs> and a few days. We'll figure it out. Right, Em? I'm pretty much out of things to say. How about you? Likewise. <laughs> awesome. So, we've got a few things in line for this uh, this channel. Just put it at the end if you made it this far. It's going to be super active over the next couple of weeks while we get into this new uh, new swing of things, and then we're going to stick to this uh, system if it, if it works. So you're going to see a lot of us. You're going to enjoy it, hopefully. If you don't, then tell us. Don't just leave. Tell us why, and we'll we try. We want feedback. Things. Please, tell us yeah. what you want. Tell us what you want. Tell us what you need. That's what you need. Okay, everyone, <laughs> we'll catch you again. We'll be back on Friday with another episode. We will probably drop a segment, like a 10-minute, 15-minute discussion on Wednesday but the next full episode will be Friday. Until then, everybody have a great week. Cheers.